Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives I'm really excited for today's show If you've been listening for a while, you may know This is a re-release I've never done that before. I've never re-released an episode or conversation that I've done in the past, but this is a special one for many reasons. First of all, this episode was with with Kiese Lehman, someone who I got to know pretty well in college. He was a professor of mine. Uh, Not only that, he was an assistant assistant volunteer basketball coach for the team that I played on. We played a lot of basketball together. We watched a lot of basketball together, and I was honored and privileged enough to get to know him better than any professor at the school. And it was a um, series of events that changed my life. He is a very, very special person. Um, But since his time at Vassar and since my time at Vassar, he's become one of the best writers in the country, period. And his book, first of all, he's... Everything he's written is is absolutely phenomenal, but his book, Heavy, is the best book I've ever read. And um, frankly, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not the most well-read person, but for me, it's not even that close. So uh, whether he was my professor or not, it was immediate, um, my reaction to that book. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I wanted to have him on the podcast, the first place, to talk about that book um, and to talk about so many issues and to talk about running and and so many things. And it was a really textured conversation. We touched on a lot of things. And the reason I am re-releasing this episode is because Kiese, along with Maya Angelou, uh, some of Toni Morrison's work, and a variety of other people are seeing some of their books and their works being banned at various towns across the country. And um, this is not a political show. We don't get into politics. This is for running and talking about, you know, like I said before, fitting in running and being the best runner you can. And that is where we stand. With that said, Kiese is one of the most special people I have ever met in my life. It is an honor to talk to him. It's an honor to read anything that he writes. His voice is simply amazing. And it deserves to be heard by anybody who wants to hear it. And I strong, I stand firmly behind uh, that idea, and I'm re-releasing this episode so that you get a chance to hear what KSA is all about. If you've already heard this episode, frankly, listen to it again. I don't care if it helps my numbers or not. The more times you get to listen to KSA Layman, the better your life is going to be. If you haven't heard it before, well, you're in for a treat. This man is so special, and I am just so honored, and I am just so lucky to have had him in my life for the little bit of time that I did. So, let's get into it with Kiese Lehman. Hello, Kiese, and welcome to the show. What's going on, Matt Chitty Chittum? Good to <laughs> talk to you, bro. It's so good to talk to you. Uh, man, it's one of those things where I've, I've read all of your all of your books, I have followed your writing for a long time because I was lucky enough to have you as a coach and a professor going back. We were just talking about this going back nearly 20 years. It doesn't feel like that long, but it's true. And you're one of those people who, for me, when I think about my college experience, you're right up there with one of the top two or three things that come to mind. Man, I feel the same for you. You know, when you tell me it's been like 17 or 18 years, I swear I remember like, I hate to be cliche, but I remember like yesterday, man, the last thing I remember us doing together physically 
was you probably remember this. We were having like a contest to see who could do the most like pull ups or dips or something. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I definitely do. Yeah, I, I don't remember who won or anything, but I remember like we were trying to have a dip off or something like that. <laughs> it was definitely dips and not pull ups. And that was like both of like that was like both of our favorite exercises. So it was like a duel to the death at that point. Yeah, we were dipping, bro. We were dipping. <laughs> See the last the last image for me of you at at from in my own Vassar experience was was graduation day for me because I took your class that year and I remember um you know we had to submit like one last essay right before finals and then like I got hung up with a bunch of stuff and I had to like you know, I'm like, I'm the worst procrastinator in the world. And I had this procrastination dilemma of like, I can't do all the stuff. Yeah. I just, I, I waited too long. And then I was like, all right, I, I have three assignments. I can only do two of them. I was like, you know what? Maybe KSA will throw me a bone, but I'm not going to say anything. So I want to put him in an awkward position. So I'm just going to say, all right, please God, I hope this works. So I remember sitting in the uh, graduation being like, my folder might be empty. My parents might be just sitting there wow. like you didn't pass, like you didn't, you didn't wow. graduate. You didn't pass that class. I never knew that, man. I never knew that. <laughs> so then I came back to my, so you go through the procession. I got my, so you get like this manila folder and then inside is your, um, is your degree or whatever. And then, so I sat down and I just sat there and I didn't open it for like an hour. So I was like, oh, I don't, <laughs> don't want to know. I don't want to know. And so I finally opened it and I just breathed a big sigh of relief. I was like, oh, thank God. That last paper was oh. awful. I'm just so glad it went through. Man, that's so, I mean, it just speaks to how we all just live sort of the same moment so differently, right? Because um, I remember you being incredible, like incredible to coach and definitely incredible student. But if you say it happened, I believe you, bro. <laughs> I'll take your version of events over mine. I'm just going to go with yours. I'm going to go with your version okay. from now on. <laughs> I mean, so, incredible. Just, I mean, I think sometimes if you make people feel incredible, they think you're incredible. So, you know, what I mean, like I just always felt like a kinship with you as a student and as student athlete. So maybe you weren't I don't know, maybe you weren't the greatest student, but it felt like you were to me, you know. Well, I appreciate that. And I remember going back to that that era of you know, we would have conversations not only about you know the the stuff that we were learning in class, but we would also talk about your work. And I remember how as you progressed through at my time at Vassar, you got to this, you got to this interesting point. And you've talked about this in other interviews after the fact, where you were in this point where you were someone who was who was on the come up in the publishing world. You know, you were kind of viewed as this, all right, this person has a lot of talent, they're putting out great work, you know, they got a, you know, a book is going to be coming on the way. And you were stuck in this position where you wanted a lot of things in a certain book that a publishing house that you were with was just chafing against it. And it's so funny to think about it now, considering all the success. But when you think back to that time of like battling a publisher to keep certain things in a book and then having to go with a new publisher because they wouldn't, you know, kind of play ball with you. And now looking back on it, considering, you know, you're one of the best writers in America right now. And thinking back to 15, 17 years ago when you were getting kind of put through the ringer for your writing, how do you kind of view that time through the lens of what you've accomplished? Man, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. I mean, it's just always so complicated. You know, running real talk was one of the things that kept me going at that point because, you know, I was definitely sort of picked as one of these younger writers who might come out with a really interesting book. And after I sold my book, because I think when I met you, I'd already sold my book. 
Um, but they just asked me to just do a lot of things to it that I tried to do, including change the narrator, make the narrator white, change the place from Mississippi to New York. But then when they asked me to take the racial politics out of the book, at that point, I was just like, oh, this is this is not for me. So, you know, I gave him the money back. But the thing that kept me, I mean, and that was heartbreaking, but like, you know, man, running, working out, playing ball with y'all, that that's what that's what made me. That's what that's sort of what replaced like the joy that kind of seeped out of my my writerly heart. But, you know, I kind of relied on that exercise way too much. But at the time, it was just like I need something to make me feel better because this is not just sad. It's sort of starting to get a little humiliating and embarrassing. And it's weird because nobody else really knew other than me. So I don't know why I was embarrassed. Well, it must speak to just kind of the inner compass of how you wanted your career to go. Right. Because I would assume that if you kind of bended to the wishes for that first book, it would kind of set a precedent for like, all right, like I'm trying to put something out here for posterity. And if it's going to be corrupted, like, again, there's a difference between obviously editing and then corrupting something. But if it's going to be, if it's it's going to be corrupted to the point where it's almost unrecognizable to the original vision, something that's not even yours necessarily, like, well, then what happens then, especially if it doesn't go well? Because then it's like, all right, well, that wasn't even mine. And now I'm being judged on something that's not mine. And now and now I'm stuck nowhere. And I was lucky in that, you know, I, I wasn't when I started teaching and coaching at Vassa, you know, I wasn't on a tenure track. I was kind of like a like a, you know, what they call the adjunct professor. And I, I was very young. I didn't have any kids. So I, I think that that helped me. I mean, in a way, you know, because if I was if I was if I was married and or had children, I would have had to go through with what those people wanted me to do. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever they asked for as a publishing house at that point, you got to think about more than you. And I I had to think about my grandmother, but that's different than having to think about your kid. You know what I'm saying? So I was just in a, I also just want to always say I was in a place where I could say no to the publishing houses, but it was heartbreaking fam. It was very, very sad. And when you were building yourself up after that, ultimately did that kind of set you free in terms of once you had kind of reacted to a publisher in that way did you feel like it gave you more agency after the fact to kind of you know basically approach those situations with a little bit more confidence and backbone than you maybe you had earlier on it did you know man like as i don't know if you remember but bas- i feel like the thing about both of us as basketball players was that you know we both like to collaborate like you know what i mean like you, you were someone who people wanted to shoot more. At least I wanted you to shoot more. I was someone who people wanted me to shoot more. I love the past. And so I just really wanted to collaborate. But I also was, I was under no illusions, bro. Like I knew that I could write, like I, I could, because I read like ferociously, you know what I mean? Like, and so I just knew that I could do something that some other people hadn't really been, hadn't seen yet. And, and that was the hardest part. It's just like, I know that I can put words together and tell stories and bring in analysis in sort of a really novel way. And Lord knows I have so much work to do as a writer, but you know, I just wasn't ready for like the, the just real talk, like the business of, of, of New York publishing, like the business of it. You know, I was from, I was, I was three years out of, out of undergrad when I met you, you know what I mean? I just graduated undergrad three years later. I'm your coach and your professor. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I had a lot of energy and all that shit, but 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 for the most part, I was just uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I I knew I could write, and I just I just didn't think people were treating me fairly. But at the same time, I wanted to somebody to collaborate with. I didn't want somebody to just co-sign me as a great writer at 28 or however old I was. Um, but you know, there weren't that many people at the time who really wanted to truly collaborate, and that that sort of hurt. And then going through all of that, and then also obviously having your your full teaching load, and you know, trying to progress as an educator, you still are now. You work at the University of Mississippi. And you've been in education for a long time, basically since you graduated from college, you've worked at colleges. And, you know, so that's another part of it for you. And then just like, again, kind of navigating the social piece where you're closer to the age of your students than you are of your colleagues. Talk about how you're just, just being an athlete and using exercise was something that you leaned on during that time and how maybe it, it uh, or I guess the reasons why maybe it ended up going a little bit farther for you then then it should have in terms of it, it going from, hey, this is helping me cope to now this is something I need to cope from. Yeah, you know, my all my memories of Vassar, um, they're all tied to exercise, like those those early years. I mean, really like the first 10 years I was there. And so like, you know, I got that job at Vassar when I'm 26. Um, as soon as I get to Poughkeepsie, I go and I find the office that they tell me is mine. Um, I didn't have a place to stay at the time, so I spent the night in my office. When I woke up in the morning, I didn't go look for apartments. I went running, you know, I went running. I didn't know Poughkeepsie, so now I know I went running all the way down Main Street, went all the way down there by the river, came back. Oh, my um, gosh. That's a long run. It was a long run, bro. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know where I was. I was just running, trying to figure it out. And then the next day, um, I met uh, my friend Dave who worked at Vassar in Buildings and Grounds. Um, I met Fry, who, work, who worked at Vassar. You know, I just met a lot of brothers who worked at Vassar. We all started playing ball. And then I think maybe, maybe like the, I don't know, maybe like two weeks after I, I started working there, because, you know, we started working there before school starts. I think that's when we I met y'all and and got close, close with y'all and, and coach. But yeah, like, man, um, athletics and just running was something that I leaned on because, you know, when, when I met you, I was probably like a hundred and maybe 85 pounds or something like that. But, you know, just three years earlier, I'd been 320 pounds, do you know? And like nobody, well, maybe, no, like four years earlier. So nobody, when I met y'all, nobody knew that I was like a big, big dude, you know? Like you see me always on the stair stepper before practices and after practices and before the game. And, And some of that was to keep my body loose, but a lot of it was just like, all I wanted to do was push my body until the point where my body was like, I quit. And then I wanted to push it more. Do you know, like that was, that was the goal. But what I, what I, what I recognize in retrospect was that you can push your body that much, but you can't push your body, (laughs) not eat and then not sleep. You know, you can't, you can't do all three of those. And that's what I did. I wasn't sleeping and I was literally, you know, trying to lose as much weight as possible. So I wasn't eating nearly as much as I should but I was still pushing my body crazy. You know, playing basketball can hurt your body in a lot of ways, a lot more than like running. So, and I was doing both, you know? So it was just, I was just relying on, on ache, man, to get me through. And if I could get beyond ache, push my body beyond ache, um, I just felt like I was, I just felt like I was on top of the world. And as you wrote in your amazing book, Heavy, uh, you basically had this, you know, almost like the scale was your salvation in a way, 
you know, you talk in that book about how when you would weigh yourself during that period, like, you know, like it, these hallmark moments of like new weights that you would get to and like, oh, I just lost another pound. Like, this is great. You know what I mean? And like, it was almost like that, that was for you, that was like the measuring stick for success, despite all these other things you had going on in your life, that that was the measuring stick for success. And, you know, I'm sure when you think about it now, you're like, oh my gosh, how did I fall into this pattern? But in that time, did it feel, did it feel to you like you were adrift or did it feel natural at the time? You know what I love so much about it? It didn't feel natural. Like I thought natural in my family was, you know, to be an, um, you know, a good person, a loving person, a teacher, but to, but, and my grandmother pushed her body so much as like working in uh, fields and white people's houses and as a chicken plant worker, but it didn't feel natural to be out there running in the streets at night. Like I came from a culture that, you know, we play football, we play basketball, but nobody jogged. Do you know? So like in jogging, I felt like I was pushing back against an inheritance and pushing back against a lineage. And hopefully in my mind, because I think epic all the time, I was trying to create a new lineage for myself, hopefully for my children, if I had some for my family. And so, you know, running, especially because I was, you know, I, I was a skinny black boy, but I was, a you know, still seen as like a big black boy wherever I went. And running was was one way to push back against everything my mother told me. She always used to tell, you know, you don't run, don't run in these streets. And also just push push back against part of the way I was raised, which is like, there, we don't run, we don't jog, we we, we sprint, we, we, you know, we do these things. And so anyway, like running for me was just a way of literally freeing myself spiritually, but also freeing myself from inheritances that at the time I thought were not good. You know, retrospectively, I understand the value of all of that. But at the time I was like, I want to be different than my mom or my grandma or my uncle, my auntie, my community. Um, I want to be like super, super, super fit. But really, I just wanted to be as skinny as I could be. You know, like I want to run, you know, so I could go run 13, 14 miles. I could do that easy. But but my thing is like I wanted to run 13, 14 miles and then not drink but like a cup of water. And you know what I mean? Like it was it was just this, I just took like that whole push your body to the limit thing too far. And then when my body broke, I just didn't know what to do. I was sort of out, I, you know, because I just relied on my body for therapy, relied on my body. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I just relied on my body and endorphin rush to feel good. And when I couldn't do that anymore. It, it, it sort of went downhill pretty fast for me. Yeah, you, it, there's a hard, it's, it's hard for me to describe how much you used to work out. Like it is, it is insane. I, you, you write in the book, you're the first person at the gym every day, which was true. You were the last person at the gym every day, which is true. You also ran at least six miles a day and you played basketball like two hours a day. It was, it was, a, it was a remarkable thing to witness over time, and and remember even like you know I don't I didn't know anything about anything when I was in college regards to right. you know you know, the, uh, you know unhealthy lifestyles regarding exercise right, right. I knew about unhealthy other things like smoking cigarettes or drinking too much or whatever but like I even then I was like this this doesn't why are you on the stair stepper again like this doesn't seem right yeah. you know um, yeah, let me ask what, you a question like, did you think something was wrong bro because i it was so interesting it's like i never like now that i look back at it i i felt like i was actually modeling something unhealthy for y'all too but did you think something was wrong I, i'm i know i'm no i'm not supposed to be asking the questions here no but. please do no i love that i love it um i can't say that it was that concrete 
I remember, I remember just being like, kind of confused and like being like, all right, like, <laughs> like I know that KSA used to be bigger and you used to always like, you and I used to like joke around. You'd always like point to like the stretch marks, like on your stomach and be like, this is when I was a big boy and stuff like that. And like, so like, I knew that was your background. So I thought it was like, all right, maybe he's just like really worried that if he like doesn't keep up his, his routine that he'll like backslide. And as someone who like, if I don't keep up my routine, I backslide like so fast on everything. Like I could relate to that. So I think I probably just transposed my own weaknesses and flaws onto you. And like, maybe this is what he's thinking, but he probably doesn't need to be on the stair stepper. We just played basketball for two straight <laughs> no, hours. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was so bad, Matt. Like I would weigh myself bef- every, every day before we played or before I did anything at that gym, I weighed myself. And then after we did anything, you know, I go weigh myself again. And if I wasn't the number I wanted, that's when I would go hit the stair stepper. But the problem is you can never be to the number you want. You know what I'm saying? Like once once you think you can control how small you can get, like, you know, there's never a number that's going to be low enough. And so and but again, the problem with me was a lot. There are lots of things was like I was not feeding my body. Like I didn't understand that if you want your body to kind of like <laughs> carry you when you really need it to, you have to feed it. You like, you know, I'm not, I mean, you just have to, you can't starve your body and then ask it to do things that like bodies aren't supposed to do. And, and that's what I was doing, bro. Like, and that's the thing about, I think y'all would have known that more if, if I really hung out with y'all, right? Like y'all were, y'all were students. I was a teacher, you know, I felt like we were friends, but like, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't with y'all in the, in the THs or the TAs or in the study hall. I mean, in the, um, in the uh, cafeteria or anything like that, but I just wasn't eating. I wasn't eating, you know? And one day, one day, Judy Finity, who's a, who was the coach of lacrosse. Um, one day she saw me and she was like, what is, what's going on? What's wrong? And I was like, it was just right after a workout. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, dude, like, look at your face. Like he has say, like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I feel great. I just came back from running 15 miles, you know? And she, you know, in her own way, she was trying to tell me I need to probably slow this down and get some help. But, you know, man, I wasn't trying to hear that. I just wanted to keep on running. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine for her, especially, you know, she, she was an, an established coach who'd worked with a lot of athletes. And I'm sure she saw something in you that she'd probably seen many times over the years, um, coaching, you know, coaching really good athletes in college, um, just, just in terms of what you were putting yourself through. And when you think back now, just, you know, it's, I try to draw the parallel sometimes with, with people in athletics, specifically runners, um, and then what they're doing with the rest of their lives. And if it, if it aligns or if it diverges, because I think about you as a writer, as you mentioned before, like you read voraciously and yet you also had a high level of output. So you you were able to approach writing in this holistic manner of inputs and outputs, where from an exercise perspective, it was just output, no input. And you know you're you're obviously an extremely intelligent person. Like you're 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 the, the brightest person I've ever met. And like you know, it's, it's some, simple as like, hey, you need to feed your body because you're you know you're testing it really hard. Isn't like this? Mo- isn't this unbelievably hard concept to understand? Right. <laughs> you know, so right. so it's. When you think back to that time and in terms of what you were putting your body through, how much of it was just goal oriented and how much of it was just like, hey, this is just literally like my emotions and what I'm feeling subconsciously 
it, this is how it's coming out. It's not necessarily coming out in my writing, especially considering what was going on with your writing at that point. It was just coming out in, the, in, in a more physical way, and that's how you were relieving the pain. Yeah, I mean, I think most of it was was um, I mean, you know, some of it was that when you when you grow up as like a chubby dude and then you or fat kid or whatever or fat young man and then you actually like change your entire body to fit like a norm. I think the the positive back uh, positive the positive like responses you get from all sorts of people um, are sort of like they're overwhelming, but they actually feel really good, you know? And so like, yeah, there's definitely a part of me that thinks, oh, if I don't run or do, you know, an hour on the step of the night, so-and-so is not going to value me the same way they value me. But like in my heart, bro, like it was like, I was just, I just really wanted to run. Like, like running just made me feel so absolutely safe and free and also unsafe. Like, cause I used to run like at two, three in the morning, you know what I mean? Like, and, and run in places that for lots of different people, people would be like, you shouldn't run there, you know, running in white neighborhoods. My mom would be like, you shouldn't run there running in neighborhoods that are like, not have no wealth. People would be like, you shouldn't run there. And I was just, I wanted to run in all of those places. People told me not to run. So some of it was just like, again, pushing back on what I was told was the expectation for bodies like mine. And a lot of it was that I just wanted to continue to have people tell me that they valued like what I'd done with my body. Yeah, that that freedom that you describe of just like literally running out the door, going wherever you want, especially if people tell you not to go there. It reminds me of a kid like like a like a like a ten to twelve year old like who finally has their bike and like can just like go wherever they want finally, and like that feeling of freedom is like this inescapable thing that they just need to do, right? Or maybe someone who just gets their license for the first time. Like, I just need to drive around. I just need to get out of here. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, Like, if I couldn't run for a day, bro, like, I was, uh, I mean, you can ask people who were the closest to me, you know, like, it it got to a point where people wouldn't even ask me what's wrong. They'd be like, just go run. Like, go run, go. You know what I mean? Because if I didn't run a lot for a day, I was just not a good person to myself or to anybody else. But little did I know. I mean, again, I just want to make sure that I, I told myself this because it wasn't the running alone. It was just the running and not helping my body do what I needed it to do. You know, I mean, I I I, I just think like and that's new for me. And and now that, you know, now I'm so much older than when I met you, met you, Matt. And like the craziest thing now is like my my hips are fucked up and blah, blah, blah. And I haven't run in forever and but all my dreams bro like i'm always running i'm running or i'm playing ball and and it's so it's it's embarrassing to be able to say that and i've never said that out loud but i can say it to you cuz i know you understand um and and so and, and and it's not like in my dreams i'm like 25 or 30 years old again it's like in my dreams i'm running as like a 45 year old dude right which is something that I, I know that I can do again. I just need to, I need, I need to make sure and do, do the things that can get me to that place. But it's also running in and of itself. In addition to being like this, like this magnificent place for me is also like, you know, it's a site of, it's a site of a lot of heartbreak and trauma for real, for real too. And you mentioned like, all right, you'd run in places that people on both sides would say, Hey, you probably shouldn't run there. 
we can place this specifically. Like, so we were in Poughkeepsie. There's two Poughkeepsies. This isn't metaphorical. There are literally two Poughkeepsies. There's Poughkeepsie City. There's Poughkeepsie Town. They share a border. Their border runs right through Vassar College, and that's where we both lived at the time. So you can, if you go into the town, it's very nice in terms of like it's a great place to run. It's wide open. You know, wide streets, a lot of sidewalks, right? There's like, or just like a road with like not a lot of traffic. It's really nice. And you can go into the city where it's like it's much more urban. You know, Poughkeepsie, you know, might sound like a kind of a funny name for a place, but it definitely is an urban area. And, you know, you can also go in that route. So when you think back to where you were running, the times of day you were running, just so late at night, in light of what we hear a lot now, like this week specifically, right? We, we've seen a lot of people have come out and wrote articles about like, hey, this is what it's like for me as a person of color running outside in terms of like, and, and what I'll say is, I'm not going to generalize it. I'll just bring up a post. I don't know if you know Tiana Bartoletta. Does that uh-huh. name sound familiar? Yeah. So she is, for people who don't know, she is an Olympic sprinter and middle distance runner, also an extremely good writer in her own right. Um, her blogs are, are, are absolutely outstanding. And she's also one of the best athletes in the world. Like what an unbelievable combination. And she wrote a blog post, which I saw mirrored in a lot of other people's work. So I'll just read it real quick. This is just a section of it. And it talks about when she was running outside. She said, and then I saw people outside and immediately, almost as if seeing another human activated some survival protocol, three things happened. I smiled my biggest smile. I raised my hand and said, hello, as I approached. And I lowered my hand, shouted cheerfully, it's a beautiful day for a run. Mission complete. Don't scare my neighbors. And I have read dozens of versions of that seemingly the exact same passage. Is this something that was going through your mind as well when you were running through through kind of more urban, I mean, suburban neighborhoods? Oh, definitely, bro. When I'm running through, I mean, not just suburban, but like, you know, really white neighborhoods or just really, really white people. Like, you know, I'm still from Mississippi and and a lot of things happen to me running. So I would I would always try to avoid people. Right. Especially like if I if I could look up and I see I was about to pass someone, particularly if they were white and real talk, particularly if they were like a white woman. I was just like, all right, fam, you got to go to the other side of the street. You know, like you really have to protect yourself, but also it's just like, you didn't want to scare anybody. Do you know what I mean? And I know, you know, you know me, people who know me know, like, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to hurt somebody on the street, but I just didn't want those people to feel that sort of fear. But, you know, man, like, I just think when you are, I can't speak for anybody else, but like, I I just know as a, as a, as a big black human being running in these streets of America, I mean, a lot of us have stories about being chased by people and with guns, you know, being robbed, um, being called like all kind of really humiliating words and whatnot. But what's scary to me is that as a as a as a younger person who considered himself a runner, it was like. I don't know how to explain it. Like I looked that was part of what inspired me to run. You know, it's a strange kind of like I'm not about to see earth to you. Right. Like you don't get to decide whether or not I run. You might get to decide whether or not I cross the street, but I'm not about to let these people. And and that that I mean, that terrified my mother, terrified my grandma. And I think because it terrified them, it made me want to do it more. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, bro, like I've, I've been chased many times in cars. And I mean, I haven't been chased. And when the people always doing the chasing has just historically have just been white men who tra- chase me. Um, and the times I got chased with people with guns, there's, those are also white men. 
But you know, I've been I've been robbed before when running. Um, and uh, you know, I just took it as like, hey, you know, that's <laughs> I don't know how to speak all that other than like, you know, I got friends who get robbed when walking. You know, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And it definitely getting robbed was nowhere near as terrifying as somebody chasing you down in a truck, like with literal guns. And I'm not saying these people are going to shoot the guns, but you and I played basketball. The first time I got chased, I was in I was in grad school, Bloomington, Indiana. I play. I was I just finished playing ball at um, Oberlin and I went to grad school. And, you know, you know, that year after you finish playing ball, you still want to play ball all the time. So I went to play in this league in this town next to Bloomington called Martinsburg. And this white dude's on a free throw line and he had a Jordan tattoo on his calf. And I looked down at his calf and I smiled at the tattoo. And I think he must have thought I was joking with him or something because he looked at me and he said, I've killed niggas like you before. And he said, and I'll do it again. That's all. And I was like, wait a minute, bro. I'm from Mississippi. I've never heard those two sentences after one another. And long story short, you know. Normally, I would have reacted in some sort of like pretty volatile way, but I, you know, I checked my surroundings. I, I realized that if some popped off, nobody in there was going to have my back. Two or three days later, I'm running through Bloomington. The same dude and I, I don't know one of his friends. They start chasing me in a truck, and then when they get in the neighborhood, like they pull out a fucking gun, and you know, like I felt they were just pulling that shit out to to scare me. Um, but it was it was frightening, right? So then you you know, and then you get off of the street and you have to run through yards and whatnot. But the craziest thing about that, Matt, is that that night, my, not the next morning, that night I went out and ran the same streets again. I'm just saying. So for some of us, there's a fear, you know, there's like, you know, there's all these other things that people are writing about. But there's also just like this desire sometimes to be like, you don't get to own the earth, bro. You don't get to own the street. Like I'm going out there to push my body for better or worse. And like you can you can you can hunt me down if you want to, but you're going to have to work that way. So for me, that, that that's one of the things that inspired me. So I think when people are talking about running now, I feel everything people are saying. But I also just wish people would talk a little bit about how that fear sometimes motivates some of us to do things that were bad and good with our bodies, you know? Yeah, because it literally is fight or flight. I mean, you kind of experienced both that night, right? I mean, obviously, like, Definitely. they came at you in a truck with a gun, and, like, you're, like, getting the hell out of here. And then, like, the fighting part kind of comes after the fact where, like, you aren't literally fighting, but you're kind of fighting back against this concept of, like, you don't get to say what I do. I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. Because mobility is something that, you know, from where I'm from, mobility was something that that like, you know, a lot of times people wanted to police. And so, you know, moving your body through public spaces at a rate of speed that you deem like healthy for you is a revolutionary act. And that's terrible that it's still a revolutionary act. But it is. And it felt like it. You know what I mean? And um, and, I, and again, I think I think I think so much of what I'm calling now radical and the way we moved our body, some of us moved our bodies through these through these public streets is part of what. I had in me when I met you, in addition to a whole lot of other things that were completely and wholly unhealthy. There was still a part of me that was because I could have run on treadmills all the time, but there was just a part of me to just like, I'm not about to see these the street to these people whom I would never hurt. So they should not hurt me either. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not ever going to try to hurt anybody. I'm not going to ever try to catcall someone. I'm just out here trying to like push my body through earth and feel all that it feels and listen. Because at that point, I was one of those people who was like, don't run with headphones because like, I felt like that was cheating. 
You know, I just wanted to listen to the earth as I ran through it. And so people telling me I can't do that like that, that just I wasn't going to go for it, man. I mean, I paid the price for it in the long run. But at that time, that's that one of the things that was driving me. So it was literally part of your humanity. Oh, absolutely. Fam. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I, I just don't understand why certain people get to jog and certain people didn't get to jog and certain people can jog at certain times of the day and certain people can't. And I just. You know, everything that I that I purport to believe socially, spiritually, politically, that just runs against everything. And so, I mean, again, that's not I'm not saying that's the only reason I was out there running so much, but it's one of the things that motivated me to run. You know, I, you know, just like my being in Poughkeepsie, like I straddled that line between the city and the town because of my job and between because who my real friends were, you know, like I wasn't going to just run you know, where people said I should run like on Vassar's campus, which also wasn't safe because Vassar security guards would often stop me and ask me, you know, to see an ID. And I'm like, I'm running. I don't have an ID, fam. Like, like I am running right now. That's my office right there. Do you know? But so, and the thing is, you know, as, as, as critical as I am of the police in Poughkeepsie, like they never stopped me when I was running in the city of Poughkeepsie, you know, as much as Vassar, as much as Vassar security stopped me when I was running, like at my job. So anyway, I just think it's I just think it's a lot of paradox that we have to like unravel to get to some of this stuff. And I appreciate you talking to me about it. Yeah. And this is also something that comes up in terms of just the, the amount or the percentage of people who are active joggers in America and that it's predominantly and overwhelmingly white activity, which is astonishing because it's also, you know, everyone who does it part of the reason they like it is its simplicity it's like hey man just go out the door and run like that's kind of the nice <laughs> thing right it's like i don't need other things right like i could literally run barefoot if i wanted to right like right. that's 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 a legitimate option for anybody right um in fact a lot of people do run barefoot in the world so you know that that's one of the nice things that people say hey this is one of the things that i like however that isn't necessarily the reality for a lot of people. And when we talk about like, hey, I'm I'm an advocate for this sport and it's something that I think is beneficial for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. When I also, you know, talk to a lot of people about it, like, hey, we need to make sure that, you know, every population around is, you know, inspired and not inspired, that's not the right word, but like is advocated for to pursue this if this is something they want to pursue. So when you have folks who are saying like, hey, like, it's just not that necessarily that easy for me. Like this is a, this is for you, this might be easy. And it, it like, the only thing I have to worry about when I go out for a run is like, I know there's a family of skunks that live in this one area and I got to dodge that. <laughs> like, that's all I have right. to worry about. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And there's other people who, like you said, like, this is a rebellious act. So with that being the case, like, like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to ask a silly question. Be like, well, how do we solve that problem? KSA? Because like, that's, that's too, that's too, it's, there's too much there. But in the, in light of that information, like what can I do? What can people who care do to try to make it like, all right, let me get like a little bit better, like in the short term. So then in the long term, it's a lot better. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we can do, but I think what most of us do, at least when I was running, what I was trying to do most of all is encourage other people that that the earth was also theirs to explore, right? To encourage other people to run. And I think that's really crucial and important. But I also just think it's important to one, talk about 
um, sort of exercise addiction, talk about the importance of feeding yourself, talk about the importance of rest. But the flip side, I think, is the most important work, which is like, you know, like, like everyone in this country cannot run, but everyone in this country to some degree can be aware of runners. And like, I just think what we need to do is, and this is, this is work, this is work that I can do this work. You can do this work. Schools can do churches. Like, I just think we have to let people know that like, you know, you have been conditioned to believe that certain bodies walking through earth are a threat to you. And you have let, and, 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 and everything around you encourages you to say, if I deem that person, you know, to be illegible or potentially harmful, well, I can call the cops on that person or I can pull out a gun on that person and or I can shoot that person because everything in the world has told me that this person being in this space running through the street cannot be anything but harmful. So we have to name that and attack that. And I'm not sure what that has to do with running. Do you know what I'm saying? Which is which is which is not to undo the work of the podcast, but like I just think it's so much more than running. It's it's about the pe- it's about us as runners, it's about us as human beings, but in this country it's about us as Americans believing that like some of us in this country think we have the right to police certain bodies who are just moving through space the way we might be moving or might, might not be moving. And I think we got to name that fear. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being like such and such people make me afraid at dark, but say that shit out loud so we can talk about why and how and change it. And when you do mess up and when we do do things that are harmful to people that are just trying to move their way through earth, I think we have to own it and hold people responsible, hold ourselves responsible. Right. But it start. I mean, we have to do it in schools, man. We got to do it in like podcasts. We got to do it in literature, but we have to just do it like deeply and we have to do it every single day of our lives. That's what I think. You know, however we do it, it just it, it's not going to be done with one mass anything. It has to be work. It's going to be perpetual work until we die to let this let people in this country understand that the earth is to be shared. Space is to be shared. And when and when we mess up and when we say somebody is is a, you know, a particular, you know, so and so looks like a crook. So and so look like they stole some so and so looks like, OK, if you're wrong, when you're wrong, then what? You know, that's that's the that's where I think we are. Like, then what? What do you do when you're wrong? And I just think like the consequences of not entertaining that question, Matt, like are destroying like more than runners. Right. Like they're destroying they're, they're destroying so many people in this world, fam. So many people. And you've spoken about this consistently for as long as I've known you. This idea of, hey, open communication, talk out loud about the things that haunt you, that scare you, that worry you, your insecurities. You know, your classroom was for a lot of people like a group therapy office in, in certain ways. And and whether it all came out of the classroom, maybe, maybe not, but it certainly came out in the writing for the class, that's for sure. And And that was something that was pretty consistent. And I think that's also one of those things where You've mentioned this before, and I've seen you talk about this many times, and and even very recently, even with your own family, about the idea of doing this daily. And this is part that we talk, we're talking about a lot of paradoxes here, not just like the two Poughkeepsies and, 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 and a lot of paradoxes that go through your writing specifically, but this idea of you shared one of the most honest, raw books I've ever read in my life. And I also know you as a very like... Just a, you're a private person. Like you're not, you're not this outgoing person. Like, hey, I'm living my life on my sleeve. Here, come take a look. So, what's it like for you, kind of having 
you know, both sides of this of like, hey, open, you know, being the being the person who's showing the way of divulging everything, but also being someone who's, you know, this isn't necessarily, you know, a, a an inborn characteristic of yours. Right. And then, but I think a book like that comes out of the same place that running when I'm told not to run comes out of. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I mean, I, I think of that book is, is more than just, you know, turning myself inside out. You know, like, I think there's an art to what I did and whatnot. Um, but, but I, but I, but I definitely think that there, there, there's that part of me as a human that just wants to do things that I, don't think I can do and do things that I haven't heard of people do. And so beyond all of the stuff that I needed to work through in that book, there was also just a desire to kind of, you know, do, do, you know, create a book I'd never seen that, that meshed different kind of genres that I'd never seen and push and push and push. But just like running, you know, sometimes you run too hard or you, and you're not, like, I wasn't ready for that book. I was, I, I was ready to write that book. I think I wasn't ready for that book to be out in the world though, you know, like, and, but after it's out there, it's out there. And what's so, so, so like circular is that the thing I think I needed most to protect my insides, if that book was going to be in the world was running. But I've gotten to a point in a place in my life where, like, I, I, you know, I need to get these surgeries on my hips. I'm supposed to get these two surgeries on my hips in the last two months. But, you know, it was a one of those surgeries that got pushed back because of Corona. Um, so I don't know. I'm at a place that I'm just saying I'm in a place in my life where I need running more than more than I ever needed it. And I think that I'm in a place where I could do it healthily. But I'm just also at a place where my body literally will not cooperate right now. So I'm just trying to find trying to find other ways that are that are healthy to kind of just deal with what everybody deals with as human beings, which is like thinking about um, what other people's eyes do to your insides, right? Like at the end of the day, like that's sort of what gets a lot of us in poverty and all sorts of other things. And so anyway, I, I, I need to run for my, for my, for my, for my, for my well-being right now. And like, I'm, I physically can't. And so my goal for the next year is to get to where I can. Um, but I know I'm gonna have to be super patient with myself. Yeah, and patience is a hard thing. You talk in this book about, and, and you've spoken about it here, you know, during the course of this conversation of you know exercise addiction. In the book, you talk about gambling addiction. Um, maybe you don't, maybe put don't put that phrase on it, but that's how it comes across in the book. Um, you talk about how like you know this is almost like a family trait, so to speak. Um, that you know, you've you've been open and honest about. So when you talk about patience and you talk about you know trying to approach this the right way, how does someone in that situation like you who've had to deal with the addictive side of your personality and in some ways you know your your genes like this is just this is just part of who you are. You know how do you approach it in a way that's sustainable and a positive for your life and not a negative. Um, I, I, I think that like talking about everything that I, that I'm in, I think talking about my impulses, um, hopefully with people who love me is, is for me the, the way I can keep myself, um, not just honest, but healthy. And I, and I, and I think that's hard for, for a lot of people, but particularly like people like me, you know, like I'm a person that. Like I, it, I, I sort of trust my impulses 
And then I wholly don't trust my impulse. So, so I need to talk to people about the things that I really feel like I want to do. If that's go to the casino and blow $15,000 or something, or if that's like, yo, I can't run right now, but I just want to get out here and hop down the middle of my street tonight. You know what I mean? I need to talk to people who I love because the thing about all that running is when I was doing it and though I was talking to you on the basketball court and talking to y'all in classrooms about deception, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's the saddest part of that story is like, I was wholly deceiving myself and I did not know it. And I was just really deceiving my students too, you know, and I'm not saying students want you and and, and students want the teachers or players want their coaches to be perfect at all. But I think the thing that I was sort of like promoting the most, which was like, in you know, stripped down was a kind of like connect collective honesty. Like I had not done that work myself. So anyway, I just need to talk to folks, fam. Like when I get my impulses and um, I'm better at that. Uh, but really more than anything else, bro, I just want to go run, fam. Like <laughs> talking to you is so strange. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen you since that, since I was a runner, you know? And so I don't know if I'm feeling that so much now because we're talking, but it's it's more than just, I want to sweat. Like I want to run. I want to run my big ass body across this earth and, 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 and smile and frown and spit and sweat and, and, and stumble and, and, and walk and get back to where I'm going. Like, I, I want to do that. I feel like I need to do that for my mental health. I just got to get my body to a place where I can. I love it. And I know exactly what you mean in the sense of just wanting and needing it to be part of your life. Um, you know, right now, for all intents and purposes, you're like, you're living the life of an injured runner. And have been and have been for a very long time, um, which is you know, which is obviously, you know, unfortunate. Um, and hopefully that you know, everything passes. You get those hip surgeries, and then you know, you start to make moves again for with something that you absolutely love. Um, one thing I want to talk about that isn't necessarily running related, but I think is related because of how people who are really dedicated to running approach it is your writing practice, which I think there's a lot of parallels here. You're an extremely talented writer. Um, you come from, you know, your mom, you know, is, is a high quality writer. This was part of you, you know, reading and writing has been a part of your life since you've had a life. And it's just, it's amazing to see. At the same time, I've heard you talk about your writing practice of like, hey, when I write something down, it's garbage and it's garbage until I've literally rewritten it 20 times. You're one of the best writers in the country and you're talking like that. What, what, what is your writing process and how much do you put in the hard work bucket versus the talent bucket? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, I want to be honest when I answer this. Um, okay. So I, I, I think that they're particular human beings who can hear notes other people can't hear can see colors and patterns other people can't see when looking at the same thing um and and have an understanding of like what what we call like narrative rhythm like i guess that would be the equivalent of just like talent right like things that maybe one inherited but did not have to work on i i don't think those things alone can make you a, a um it, it it can't even make you a great writer they can make you you can write a great piece with those talents 
but you gotta, you, you, you gotta, you gotta revise. And like, you know, whenever it's so interesting, whenever I'm talking to my students about revision, I always use running metaphors. You know, I'm always like, if you want to get better at running, you know, you probably need to run, you know, regularly. You can't just run when you want to run. Similarly, I don't think you can just write when you want to write. But the flip side is that I have I have dear friends that are like literally like some of the best writers on earth. And at this point in their lives, like their practice is I'm going to write whenever I want to write. So so, you know, it flies in the face of what my practice is. Like I have to get up every morning and write. I have to write before I go to bed and I have to revise on the weekends if I want to create anything that I would deem, you know, decent. But other people, it's kind of like shooting, bro. Like, you know, like, you know, people, you you got to use this form and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, here comes Steph shooting a chest shot. You know, he's shooting the ball from his chest and he's making everything. You know, he came up, you wouldn't even be allowed to shoot that way, right? So it's almost like whatever works for you. You know, I can say what what works for me is like a sort of like diligence and revisitation. But I know, I know Pulitzer Prize winning people. I know National Book Award winners who are like, I have something called life. And writing sometimes needs to be far away from that thing. So I'm not going to write every day. And you know what? I used to be real hardcore about like thinking those people were fucking assholes and dicks and weren't going to last. But that's bullshit, right? They found a practice that works for them. And I found one that works for me. And I think that's and I think the same might hold for running. It's just like ultimately, like, what are your goals, you know, and, and like from the inside out. Right. Like and for me, I know what my goals are from the inside out right now. And and. And I've I've kind of come off of writing so much. Like I was going two hours at night, two hours in the morning, revising all weekend. And even before COVID, like I'd stop doing that because that wasn't healthy for my insides either. But I still need to I still need to visit it in the morning, visit it at night, and I need to sort of immerse myself with it on the weekends. But I've done it now in a way where I take less time up and and I'm not so obsessive, even though it probably sounds like I am. I'm not. Well, it's your it's your craft. It's your profession. So I wouldn't expect anything less. I wouldn't some, expect someone to be like, yeah, this is my profession. I do it 20 minutes a day. Right, <laughs> you know, right. or something like that. Um, <laughs> so with that said, one thing that's comparable to what you're doing and to what a lot of dedicated amateurs runners deal with is the comparison trap, is finding enjoyment in what they're doing, also sharing it, being in the in the community with you know that they care about whether it's the writing community the running community or whatever community that you're engaged in in a meaningful way but not necessarily in a way that's you comparing yourself to others in in a in a way that draws you down instead of picking you up so how do how do you live your life in the writing community in a way where you're able to do that man you know what this interview is crazy cuz cuz you're making me articulate the fact that like all my all my writing metaphors are like like athletic metaphor you know so so for example when you ask me that question the first thing i say is like you know i i think it is a race right and i and i'm very clear about the people that i can see in front of me do you know what i mean and and i don't hate those people and i'm i, I want to catch them you know, but there's some people who are in front of me who've lapped me. And when I think I've caught them, sometimes I'm being delusional. But but like but but I think the difference between like me now and me maybe 15 years ago is like it's not it. It's like. Like there's nothing vindictive in the competition. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like I want I want to write a better book next year than Jasmine Ward, who I think is the greatest writer of my lifetime and my sister. And there's nothing competitive. I mean, there's everything competitive in it, but there's but like there's nothing in it that's, that's bad or harmful. It's all love. Right. It's because she's created these arts these works of arts that have like changed the way I understand the world, changed the way I see here, listen, everything. And I want to be able to be as good as her because in my heart, like I don't actually don't think I ever will be, but I think I can create a book that might be able to sit next to a few of her books. Sim- similarly, I think that there are people who kind of like maybe are behind me and, <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to lap them, you know, um, but I want it to all be in, in, in I want it to all be in joke. I want it to be like I want it to be fun, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I may maybe we need to cut this part out because I'm not really being clear. No, I like it. I like what you're saying because it reminds me of this quote from this uh from this business guy who's kind of like a social media guru type guy's named Gary Vaynerchuk, who has this quote that I really like. He's like, There's two ways of being the best. You can either, you know, you can either build the biggest building in town or you can tear down all the other buildings. Right. And I think that it like aligns with what you're saying. What you're saying is like, all right, like, you know, I don't want to tear anybody down here, but I do want to be the best. Yeah. And which means which means you're going to fail. And and like and I'm I'm just like at my best. I'm 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 like obsessed with failure. Like I want to create visions for myself that I'm eventually going to fail that I'm going to fail. And then when I try to do something again, I want to take everything I learned from that failure and try to create blah, 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 blah. And then when I fail, do you know what I mean? Like, like, so like at the best, the best of me, whether it was playing ball or running or whatever, it was like, yo, I might've had a good game or I might've run that in a, in a, you know, a certain time, but I know I could be better than that. Right. And, and I think some of that is what led me to like over, over exercise and, and exercise injuries and never letting myself heal. But on the flip side, I just think I just don't want to tear anybody down. Like that's that's just real talk. Like like I have no desire to look at somebody who's an artist out here and be like, oh, that person ain't shit. Like I love to see people who are doing things I can't do, but I want to be able to do them. I'm not going to lie. Like I want to be able to do what Morrison does. I want to be able to do what Rachel does. I want to be able to do, you know, what Regina Bradley does. Like I want to be able to do that. And I can't do it, but I love like getting on the track to try to catch up with them. You know what I mean? I love, I love, I love trying to get on the writerly track to try to be able to do some of what they can do. Um, I don't know. And at my best, that's what keeps me going in the absence of actually being able to run in these streets like I used to. So you've written in a lot of things. You've done a lot of essays. You've written a lot of publications. You've also written for ESPN. You have some nonfiction books. You have fiction books. What are some of the things that you're working on now? And by that, I mean, like, what are some things that you're passionate about that you can't wait to pursue? Well, um, there's a movie being made um, of Heavy that uh, I'm excited about. Um, I got this new initiative down here. You know, I moved back to Mississippi because I wanted to come back here. I always wanted to come back and this is a new initiative where we're trying to get like incredible grad students into the classrooms with these um, high school and middle school kids. It's called a Catherine Coleman um, uh, arts and justice initiative. Like that's that I, that I founded and started. So I'm, I'm excited to see that get off the ground. And I got these two new books 
um, that I'm that I'm that I'm excited about. Um, one of them is uh, called Good God, which is uh, sort of multi, you know nonfictiony kind of book, and the other one's called. Um, uh, oh, I'm not supposed to tell people about the but the other one. But anyway, but so I have another not uh, fiction <laughs> book. I'm not supposed to talk about that one yet. But so you know, I just got these. I got these art. I got this outer here, brother. That I'm trying to get right. But more than anything, you know, you allowed me in this space to say what I really want to do is I need to do everything in my life possible to make like mobility and movement through these streets like part of my life again, and um. That's what that's what that's that's the most important thing to me right now tonight, honestly. I love it. One last thing before we get going. I'm never going to forget where you said it um, and when you said it. And it was I think one of the first things you said to me was, you know, you're talking about other professors at Vassar College. And you were saying this is something that's wrong with a lot of people in this world. They think that you can either excel with your body or you can excel with your mind they don't realize that it's not that it doesn't have to be a choice between one or the other is that something that you still feel like is an issue with some people in terms of like your profession and just for a lot of professional people out there or is this something that you feel like has relented a little bit over time i think it's still a problem but i i mean i i I, more than looking out and judging other people i know it's a problem with me you know, I'm I'm sorry that I said that about anybody else to you when you were a young person, but I should have owned my part in that. But yeah, like, um, I think healthy mind body balance, like mind spirit balance, body spirit mind balance, like all of those things are essential. And of course, when you go to schools like Vassar, they're gonna be, you know, like it, it's easy for people to be like, oh, like only smart people who don't move their bodies go here and smart people are seen as innocent people. And obviously, like we know that's not true. Like, right. Like like movement, whether it's movement of your fingers, of your of your legs, of your actual like body through spaces. Like I think movement stimulates the the the, the imagination, stimulates memory, smells and everything like take us backwards as much as they take us forward. So. I just think that balance is, is what we all should be kind of aspiring to. I love it. Kiese, thank you so much for joining me. If people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Um, if you want to learn more about me, you can Google me. You can go to kieselayman.com. Um, And if you really want to know too much about me, you can probably buy um, Heavy in American Memoir uh um, it's in paperback. It's in hardback. It's in French. It's in Portuguese. It's in Italian. It's on audiobook. Um, and hopefully it'll be coming to um, a TV and or theater sometime soon. So that's what I got. I love it. I can't wait to see it. That's new news for me. I can't. That's just really exciting. I, I listened to the audiobook. It was great. And usually an audio book is, you know, it's not just about the rating. The narrator can play a big part. Right. You had a good narrator. Right. Thank God. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Kiese, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. This man, I told you in the intro, is so special. His voice is important. And it, you know, not everyone's going to read every book in the world. But I think it's important not to ban books either. And the fact that that's happening is um, repellent to me on every level. Again, I'm not the biggest reader in the world. I haven't read every Toni Morrison book or Maya Angelou book or any other book for that matter. 
most of most of my writing, most of my writing, I'm sorry, most of my reading, there you go, is in the sports genre. But with that said, come on, people, we're, we're better than this. We're better than this. How can you not listen to that man and think, you know what? The more KSA lame as we have in this world, the better we're all going to be. That's how I felt when I first met him. And if I could be like this man in any way, then that would be an improvement on what I am. That is for sure. And I still feel that way every day. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.